This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Sports. From State Street and the First Midwest Bank Studio, this is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. WMVP Chicago. It's Under the Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports, ESPN 1000. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood right here on ESPN 1000, the brand new ESPN Chicago app. we got Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday, coming up at the bottom of the hour right here on ESPN 1000. We turn to a man who knows his Chicago Bears from WGN. The son of Walter Payton is Jared Payton. He joins me right here on ESPN 1000. Talking Bears. JP, how you doing? Good man, I'm doing great, man. How you doing? No, don't worry about me. I'm worried. I'm nah. worried. No, no, I'm worried about you. How are you doing, sir? Man, you know, I'm I'm doing good, man. I'm blessed. Uh, the family's uh, all healthy, and you know, we've been in the house for a little bit over a month. And uh, the one person that probably I never thought would be teaching their kids uh, math and social studies—that's uh, me now. So not only am my dad, I'm also the teacher here doing the e-learning. So it's been an experience. Oh my gosh. The families they're so tired of you. Yeah, they, yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. They gotta be tired of you. Because <laughs> you you get antsy. You yeah. ready you re, you ready to either pump you know, hit somebody or pump some weight. So I don't know which <laughs> so, Bro, I haven't missed hey, I haven't missed a workout during this quarantine, man. I've gone every single day. Every day. I told told Sean, man, coming out of the break that man, I feel like if CFL team needs me, man. I might be able to give it a couple burns, man. After this, yes, with the with the finesse you played with, of course, of course, <laughs> making people miss because that's who you were. I remember. Oh wait, that wasn't you. You were knocking everybody the hell out. That's what you were doing. That's just... I got some. Hey, I got some video for you. I'll text it to you, man. I got some, some juice in there though, too, bro. I got you. You killed people. <laughs> That's what you were doing. You were knocking people out. That's what you were doing. <laughs> My God. Um, so I, I'm, before we talk about the Bears and the draft, I'm c- curious about your thoughts about the last dance because uh, <sighs> you know, because your father and Michael had a relationship. You talk about the two two iconic uh, superstars in Chicago sports and around the world. What, what's that been like for you from your standpoint? Man, it just it's taking me back to a lot of great memories, you know, just to – my dad and I, we shared a lot of great memories going to watch Michael play and especially those uh, those 90s Bulls and just being around. And I think the relationship, because I was a little bit older, I had a better understanding of seeing Mike and my dad interact on on different occasions. So when Mike came to my house and him and my dad, he walked in. I'll never forget that moment. He put his coat on the, on the washer and dryer. And then next thing you know, him and my dad were downstairs playing cards and um, he whistled to me to come down, and I, I said, Mike, what, what, you need something? He said, so you need a Gatorade? I probably got one outside with your face on it. And he was like, nah, man, need you go get the money in my wallet, in my pocket. So I did. And about two hours later, my dad whistles again, and I come down, and he's standing behind the card table counting all this money. And he took all Mike's money and gave me a $100 bill, and I said, thanks, Mike. And I ran upstairs, and I put it in my piggy bank. And they went to like 4 in the morning. And I remember waking up the next morning and asking my dad, why were you guys up so late? He said, son, when you get two people like us in a room, nobody wants to lose. And I get it now. 
and about to be 40, man. I get it and understand the drive and the competitiveness for both of those guys and to see the drive of Michael Jordan, not just to be good, but to be great and what you have to sacrifice, not just in like your life and everything that you do outside of basketball, sometimes in basketball, like with Doug Collins and trying to figure out like, you know, going from that to Phil and taking the ball out of his hands and sharing it a little bit. Mike didn't want to do that, but that was going to be best for him to be able to win championships. And so, to watch this evolution of the Bulls and Michael Jordan has been special. Yeah, I was, I was telling Sean and telling the the, uh, the audience that the the it, it's one thing to watch like the drama between the Pistons and the Bulls and that the hatred that they had on the floor and the competitive spirit. But what resonates with me the most, JP, is the journey, right? Mm. Like the humble beginnings, the grainy film of watching Jordan, you know, with hair, you know, tr- you know, just trying to find out how can I win this game. Can I do it by myself? And realizing that trust is such a, a huge asset to have in your pocket, right? To to know that, okay, I know I can score 50 a night, but I, I, for me to be able to attain a championship, I've got to use Scotty. I've got to have Horace. I've got to have these other players. So the trust thing and for, it really elevated everything for the Bulls. And I just like love the, the process of Cleveland to Detroit to finally getting over the hump. That is so strong because many people here in 2020 believe, you know, once you step on the floor, once you step on the football field, you're supposed to win a championship, right? Well, no, it doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't work that way. And just to see what Mike did and how, even with the Pistons throughout that time of getting beat up, of changing up his game, going into the weight room, getting stronger, and then everybody else following suit and doing the same thing. Scotty was in the weight room. Like, guys started to see they had to change it up to be able to get over that hump, get over that roadblock. And just amazing to see the journey. I'm with you. The journey of Jordan, the journey of the, the organization at that time to see the greatness. Because, you know, it's hard to win one, and let alone to win that many. You have to be dedicated to your craft. And so, uh, man, Mike's the – I don't want to hear anybody talk to me anymore about anything else. Who, Who's close – dude, Mike's the GOAT, man, mm-hmm. period. It, it's all done, man. <laughs> have nothing else the documentary tells you that, doesn't it? <laughs> if you didn't know, here's film. Here, here's actual footage of him being great. Yes, he's the GOAT. Uh, Jared Payton from WGN with me, Jonathan Hood, on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. I'm glad that the Bears were able to get a tight end in Cole Komet because they needed one. You mean, you, yeah. Just because you have 10 doesn't mean you have one. And so now you have someone in Cole Komet. What was your reaction to what the Bears did in round two? Mm, I wasn't surprised. that I knew... Well, I didn't know which way they wanted to go. And everybody, when you start thinking about all the needs that this team had, there was specific needs that I thought that they would maybe go through first in that second round. But tight end was an issue. And I think the Jimmy Graham thing kind of threw me off a little bit mm-hmm. um, in free agency. So I was thinking that maybe that w- they pushed that back a little bit. But it just goes to show, listen, when you have your eye set on somebody, you've done your scouting. And we've seen that with this regime with Ryan Pace and his staff when they like someone. And they go and get him, and to see what Cole was able to do in college, and uh, I feel like he was still. Sean and I talked about it. The producer, Sean, said we're getting him a year early, and I believe the same thing from watching his film. I sat, you know, after the second round, the next day, just sitting and watching film, and he's got all these things that you like. I feel like he can still grow and get better, and so with him and Jalen Johnson. Um, I just feel like they got two guys that were top 50 guys that now they can 
that can kind of go in and play and be an impact. I think with Johnson, it's just really can he stay healthy. Those shoulder injuries, uh, listen, I know he only missed one game in 2018, but still throughout his career. But when you get into these games with the big boys at the next level, you've got to come in and lay the wood a little bit. I just hope those shoulders can hold up because I feel like in the second round, they got two guys at two position and needs that they needed. I, I said before the draft, JP, that because of how the roster is is put together, I said these first two picks have to be day one starters. Yeah, like like it like you have no other choice. You like Cole Komet has to be able to get the lion's share of the time with, and I know that Graham and Komet are two different type of tight ends, and I just think that Graham is toward the end of his career. Komet's new, but Jalen Johnson's got to step in like on day one, opposite of Fuller, and just it's go time because you, as good as this football team is, and it's good but not great. There's holes on the on the roster, so Johnson and Komet. You got to show something from the beginning. And I know that sounds like a lot of pressure on them, but that's just based on how the roster is. I expect them to be able to do something to help the team in their first year. Yeah, and I think, too, especially um, with this defense and how good it is, Hood, I mean, this is where, you know, you have windows. And everybody talks about windows. And to me, it's not only just about a window. It's about keeping having guys be able to stay healthy. And, um, you know, you start to see what, Losing Akeem Hicks did, especially in that Raiders game over in London, and there was they were a different defense. So being able to have a defense that's stout that can win a championship, you got to be able to take advantage of it. Offensively, though, still a lot of questions, and probably the biggest question is at the quarterback position who that's going to be. Um, but when I look at this draft, man, Ryan Pace, you can give it a C plus. I've seen people maybe give it a little bit higher because he he addressed all the needs. I, I just still have to see a lot of guys with upside, especially in the middle before you got to the end with those two offensive linemen. You start seeing a lot of guys with some upside, and I just don't know where they fit in because the only way we're going to be able to see that is when we see them on the football field. This whole thing is strange for everybody in the NFL, isn't it? The whole thing yeah. is strange. Because cause first of all, we're not going to have the training camp that we're normally getting it and it's probably more than likely it won't be on time the other thing is it's not going to be in bourbon a it's going to be in lake forest i'm not happy with that after platteville and bourbon a let let us see what's going on it's almost like you got the iron gate up and you don't want us to see i'm not happy with that but nonetheless Mm. i i just think that um that this season will tell a great story about ryan pace because it's the same pace that told us on new year's eve like no you know we believe Mitch will be our starter in 2020. And then like, here comes Nick Foles. It's like, wait a minute. (laughs) You you believe in Trubisky, but you bring in Foles, which I don't blame him for doing, but don't tell me that like Trubisky is the guy um, because they paid a pretty penny to make sure they have a backup. And then, you know, mortgaging the future for now and plugging holes and throwing money in free agency. This this come upcoming season, whenever it happens, JP, this will be huge for for Pace to find out what his future is. Yeah, I mean, you look at especially on the defensive side of the ball and some of these other late round picks that he's found some gems in. The one, the biggest issue is still the quarterback position. That in in finding finding the kicker and a, a tight end, but the quarterback position is such a big deal and a big cloud, and you have to, you know, hope that what is this going to do? Is it going to light a fire under Mitchell Trubisky and say, listen, here you go, like you got to start off and you got to be able to be more consistent, figure this thing out, and 
or is it going to bring him back a little bit? Listen, I, I always say this with this young man. He didn't ask to be taken number two overall, right? The Bears went up and they, they had conviction. They said, this is our guy. I always knew that he was going to be a project and that he was going to need work just by watching his film and going back and doing my study and on him. I said, I can see what Ryan Pace sees in this young man. Does it come out to, you know, uh, into being a pro bowler or what? I had no clue, but there was other guys in that draft that you kind of saw by watching their film, you know what I mean? Deshaun Watson and just watching those national championship games, you knew what they were all about. They played in the big games. And I knew it was going to take time. And in this league, especially at that position nowadays, you're not getting any time. You have to come in and you need to blow it out the water right out the gate. And forever, people in, in Chicago, man, I mean, just seeing all the comments, people will never forgive Ryan Pace for that. And it's something that I know probably bugs him on a daily basis. So when you come back reincarnated to play sports, which sport are you playing? Are you playing football? And what position no, are you no. playing? No, 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 no. I'm coming back and playing baseball, man. I got to put me put me in center field, man. Let me play for a while. Give me some sunflower seeds. Let me just hang out, out you know, run a little bit. I love baseball, man. I, I just wish it was just too slow. Like you said earlier in the show before I came on, I'm too antsy. I didn't want to sit and wait. That's why I played soccer for so long because I was constantly moving. And now as I'm older, I slowed down a little bit and I'm like, man, and just watching my son play baseball, that's what gives me joy, man. So I'd come back and maybe play some baseball, switch hitting, maybe because I can hit lefty too. You didn't know that. Oh, wow. Right? No, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, man. Come on, man. I'll send you some more film. I See, I got more film to send you. <laughs> yes, please send me that. So, okay. <laughs> so, ultimately, you're like the new Bo Jackson when you come back, right? That's good because yeah. you're going to run through the wall because you're sitting in the center field. So that's that's pretty much a given. You're not going to be a DH because you're too antsy to sit down the bench for four, four bats. So that's not happening. And so, if, so you're going to run through the wall in center field. That's what you're going to do. If, if I'm looking at their bank statements and I'm seeing some of them M's, I'm going to be okay sitting out and chilling for a while. I'll tell you I that. So. I don't think you can sit there. you got to be part of the action. There's no way you're going to sit there for four at-bats and be like some old-timey DH just waiting for your at-bat. No, I just so, – so, you told me, yeah, you had told me that your son's really interested in, in bait. Now, is he a switch hitter or is he? Nah, he's a lefty. He's he's a he, he started off. We kind of he went back and forth, but now just hitting from the left side, and he just uh, enjoys it, man. Like today, just knows that he's got to either play center field, out in the outfield, or play first base. And so, um, just for all these kids out here, wherever they're little or they're you know a senior in high school, senior in college, they don't get an opportunity to play. And I feel you guys because it's, uh, you know, playing sports is everything. And it, it taught me so much. And so for some of these seniors out here that are missing opportunities, man, I've been talking to so many of them. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing. And my son, he t- talks to me. He's like, Dad, when are we going to get back to normal? When are we going to be able to get back to doing what we love and going out and playing? I said, man, we're going to get through this. It's just going to take some time. But missing a year of sports for him, it, it, it's a big deal, especially even at eight years old. Well, I'm glad you spent some time, man. I just want to get your perspective on this uh, on this draft. And again, I don't um, know when we'll be back to to normal uh, as far as uh, the games being back on. But I'm patient enough to wait because we all got to be healthy for us to be able to attend games and for the players to play. So whenever it happens, I'm looking forward to it. Yes, sir. I'm with you. JP, thank you, my friend. No problem, man. Anytime.
It is uh, Jared Payton from WGN uh, Channel 9 with me, Jonathan Hood. Don't forget, we got Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday, coming up at 9.30 as we talk about some of the storylines with the WWE. If you're a wrestling fan or know of one, tell them to tune in at 9.30 for our usual Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday conversation uh, right here on ESPN 1000. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Follow at TweetJHood on Twitter. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. Full show tomorrow, Wednesday, between 7 and 10, right here on ESPN 1000. We'll take a look around the NFC North and compare what the other teams in the North did to the Bears. So we have some special guests from the NFC North, as well as Freddie Mitchell, longtime scribe. With the Chicago Tribune, he's been uh, in, involved in this Last Dance special uh, documentary. We're going to talk to Freddie about um, his relationship with Jerry Krause and others. So Fred Mitchell, longtime writer with the um, Chicago Tribune, also author of many great books. We'll talk to Freddie. He hasn't been on the program in a while, but since he's been on the documentary, I better talk to Fred Mitchell, and we will uh, tomorrow. Also, I think I'm going to call Rick Mahorn. We'll find out his thoughts about the Last Dance. He hasn't. He's been very quiet. He was part of that. I think the first championship, but not the second, because he's part of that. Was Davis the, uh, the expansion draft? Uh, expansion he ended draft. up in Minnesota, right? Yeah, went to yeah. Minnesota. He was so mad. He's still still angry about that, by the way, because he knew that the bad boys were special. And he was part of that um, part of that situation, uh, part of that culture, and so he went to Minnesota and he didn't like that. <laughs> but I think we'll call Rick. Because he's part of that bad boys team, too. Let's see if he backs down like Isaiah's backing down. And by the way, for you Westsiders that, that, and for those that loved Isaiah Thomas, yeah, I enjoyed him as a player also. I mean, he's from Chicago, so I enjoy Isaiah Thomas. I just know that, you know, Isaiah, just like Joe Dumars, just like John Sally, just like all, everybody else in that team, they were all for the Jordan rules. It wasn't like Joe Dumars talked to somebody from the uh, Detroit papers like, oh, I'm not a big fan of this. I don't like this. Yeah, or the, the handshaking thing. You know, Sally stayed around. Dumars stayed around because they were classy. And some of the other bigs in that team that were that all, was all about what Daly wanted, and that was to knock Jordan down. So, interesting. So, we talked earlier in the show about Karnaschovas, uh, as well as Mark Eversley, the new brass for the Chicago Bulls. And I'm looking forward to seeing what the Bulls will look like, not this upcoming season, but the next few years, because you have to mold and shape this organization. Um, For years, the Bulls have been this mom-and-papa operation. As a matter of fact, Michael Reinsdorf said as much um, when John Paxson officially was going to step down and the press conference was there, and Michael Reinsdorf was saying, you know, Pax was telling me that we were more of a mom-and-papa organization. We need to be able to expand our thinking and try to really be on the level of other good teams that are real well run in the organization uh, around the NBA. And, and so it's interesting to hear from BJ Armstrong, uh, BJ Armstrong, also part of the bulls. You saw him in the last dance documentary. BJ is an agent now uh, and is around um, NBA circles a lot. Could have been the GM for the bulls. You know, he was with the bulls organization after his playing days. So on the, all the smoke podcasts, Draymond green, right? B.J. Armstrong was the architect of the Kevin Durant uh, switch from the Oklahoma City Thunder to Golden State. Listen closely to what B.J. has to say about um, uh, Kevin Durant, because that's 
kind of where we are right now, trying to get away from the mom and pop to something more current. When I signed my contract, my first or my second contract, per se, for five years, 82, at the time, my, my agent was B.J. Armstrong. And B.J., when we met, he had the book, you know, like of everybody's books in the in the league, their salary sheet. And when he when we met, he showed me, he said, all right, here's y'all salary. Here's everybody else's salary. And here you are. Now, you can take the max, and that's fine. Or next year, flips to OKC, this guy is up. And what I can tell you is there's a chance y'all can get him. Mm. And so I'm like, what, really? And he like, there's a chance y'all can get him. He's like, but Dre, I'm going to tell you, just know that just – you know, y'all can use him, and it'll be great for y'all. And just as much as y'all need him, he needs y'all too. And so don't think like, oh, like, the world ends for y'all. Like, you won a championship, and, like, y'all can get him. We had just won in 15. That's when I signed the deal. He's like, but just as much as you would like to have him or y'all may need him in the future, he needs y'all too. And so I'm like, well, shoot, all right. Here's what you can take, and y'all still be able to get him. And so my max was $96 million. He's like, you can take $85 million and y'all still be able to get Kevin Durant. So then he gave me a blank sheet of paper, and he like, write down your number, what you want. Hmm. So Draymond Green on the All the Smoke podcast, talking about B.J. Armstrong being the agent of Draymond Green, and pretty much was the architect of Kevin Durant coming to Golden State. Now, this is now Davis, this is where we talk all the time. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's never like on the record like we hear there, but we all, we talk all the time on the show about, hey, you know, there's stuff happening behind the scenes or, hey, uh, you know, the NBA, just like the NFL and other sports, but it's a big community, right? It's a big fraternity where, where people talk and you find out about money. You find out where players want to go and what their aspirations are because – even though it's a big league, it's a very small community at the same time as far as word of mouth. So your question to me while we're listening to that is, how would BJ know what Durant wants, right? Yeah. I mean, at that time, we do know that BJ had moved to New York. And I believe he had moved to New York because I think that was around the time 2015 when Derek was with the Knicks mm-hmm. or something like that. And... Now he starts speaking and seeing Kevin Durant's business manager a lot more often because they're both in New York. Mm-hmm. And now you have these conversations between agents. And now he's finding out what's on Kevin's mind. And, of course, before 2016, when Kevin Durant hit free agency, we already know he was upset with the way things were going with Russ and OKC years before that. So he's been talking to his agent, and the agent talks to another agent. And now they try to figure out, man, how can I get this information and funnel it to Bob Myers or to Golden State? Well, let me use my guy, Draymond Green. Mm-hmm. Let me show him. If you take this, you have a chance to get this. What is Draymond Green going to say? He's coming off a championship in 2015. Of course he's going to say yes. <laughs> of course. This is interesting. And I'm wondering, when can things like this happen for Chicago? This is when wild. can we get the backroom chatter that favors us? 
This is why Karnaschovas and, and Eversley are here, right? The, the, the Nike piece is underrated. That's why I asked Paul Jones last night, the the Raptors broadcaster, about just Eversley because he was at the you know toward the middle to the bottom of the organization and worked his way up, right? Eversley when he was with the Raptors, yep. but ten years with Nike. Okay, well you know that's a it's a huge it's a huge deal. Nike is still huge in the league next to Jordan Brand and everything else there. So Eversley has done the the you know the due diligence to be able to make relationships, right? Yeah. So. This is this sounds more like something that the Bulls could do with this new organization and the new um, connections that they can make versus guard and packs having backroom deals to be able to get C plus free agents. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, now, what we just heard there sounds like real business, like KD. Cool. Then how much could I make? Yeah, well, let's let's do this. If it increases my chances to win, I can make more money. Yeah, see, Zach Levine doesn't have those conversations. No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> and he ended up taking eighty-two, which was even three million less than what BJ told him he could take. <sighs> Tuesday wrestling Tuesday next. This is under the hood with John on ESPN One Thousand, Chicago's home for sports. This is Under the Hood. Listen to me. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. Wrestling fans, are you ready? This is Tuesday. You people bought a ticket to see me, so shut up. Wrestling. Tuesday with Jonathan Hood. First of all, Dusty Rhodes, I think what you are is a big, ugly, low-class, redneck goose. That's what I think you are. Yeah, I put it. I know I put it. But I'm most of all, the baddest man around in the world today. Follow the show at WrestlingTWT on Twitter and Instagram. But remember, my fireflies, as always, I'll light the way. And all you have to do is let me in. Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. The bottom line is... And all my magnificent, you're gonna be mine all night long. Here's Jonathan Hood. It's Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday right here on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Every Tuesday at 9:30, we give you the best. And pro wrestling conversation slash sports entertainment. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Wrestling TWT. Don't forget our YouTube page as well, YouTube.com. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday to catch up with interviews that you might have missed. There's a number of stories that's going on around professional wrestling. We talked to Tim Fiorvanti from ESPN. As we have our conversation, go to ESPN.com. Look for the WWE column, and you'll be able to catch Tim and others writing about the great sport of pro wrestling, and Tim joins me here on ESPN 1000. Tim, I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely, Jonathan, and uh, I appreciate any any opportunity to uh, promote, like you said, the great sport of pro wrestling on uh, any ESPN platform. Absolutely. Uh, well, I just want to get your thoughts on where we are right now. Really, obviously, a crazy, strange, difficult time in our world, and so professional wrestling is always was able to strive on crowd crowds people going to the arenas um being able to to pay for tickets to see great entertainment but we're not seeing that now here uh in 2020 
what are your thoughts on the overall state of wrestling where you're seeing wrestling shows across the board, but there are no fans? You know, at the very beginning, uh, at least from a viewing experience with both WWE and uh, AEW, as well as uh, Impact and a couple other companies who are still at least putting out shows, if, if not uh, actively filming shows, uh, I'll admit it, it was very strange. Um, I, I think uh, WWE in particular took some time to sort of find their stride and, and try to make the best of, of this obviously unique and, and unfortunate situation um, that's going on right now uh, and, and the lack of a crowd. But I feel like, especially in the in the last few weeks, um, they they've kind of found their stride a little bit, and and I, I've been entertained watching Raw and SmackDown, not just because of you know the lack of uh, other live entertainment for the most part, but also because you know we're seeing uh, adaption in, in a number of ways. Not having a crowd, you're seeing some some newer stars uh, taking an opportunity that probably wouldn't have otherwise come across their plate and, and, and doing big things with it. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's what we have right now. It, 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 this is not going to be for everybody. I'm, I mean, I don't blame anybody who hasn't watched wrestling or hasn't been watching a ton of wrestling without crowds. Uh, I think, like, AEW in particular has done some creative stuff in terms of having some of the wrestlers out there to at least have some back and forth, some crowd noise and what have you. But, you know, I, I'm certainly appreciative that there's, something going on um as a wrestling fan first and foremost you know i miss going to independent events uh i was incredibly fortunate enough earlier this year to to get to go to uh tokyo and see some new japan shows Mm -hmm. but but i miss going to wrestling shows and as as long as there's something going on uh i'm going to take it in i'm going to appreciate it uh for what it is you know tim for me as a wrestling fan, my focus is always on the work in the ring, right? It's just, just overall, it's always about what's going on in the ring. I know that, you know, in this society that people are wondering, well, like, what does that sign mean? Or why, why is the crowd reacting? Some in today's wrestling society look at wrestling and say, if the crowd's not reacting, then the match sucks. And that's not, that's not always the case. How many Raws and SmackDowns have we seen where you see men and women working their ass off, but yet the crowd doesn't respond, almost in a New Japan-type way, in some indies as well, where they're only going to pop when they see something that's just completely outlandish, something crazy. And and so, to me, the focus is on the ring, and I think that, for the most part, Raw and SmackDown men and women have really worked hard, uh, and it's kind of what I'm used to. I'm, I'm focused on the ring. The crowd... Yeah, it gets the the wrestlers going, but at the same time, I don't I see them working hard, but I don't know if they're uh I don't know if they're getting paid, you know, getting the the reward uh for uh for wins and losses in the in the ring. It's it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, I think you're right uh, to a certain extent. I mean, the the instance that comes into my head of sort of the the crowd being as concerned if not more so with, you know, their own stuff is we got, uh, geez, it's probably a couple of years ago now. Like wait, wait, when Cesaro had to run into the crowd and basically rip up a beach ball. I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> if, if we're talking about the, the live fan experience, it, I mean, it sort of covers the spectrum when it's great. It's incredible. It enhances the match. It elevates the performers, but I, I think you're right. I think especially with some of these new talents or, or these newly, elevated talents that 
as hard as it is to get used to wrestling without a crowd, I think it's sort of, like you said, giving them a platform, making the focus specifically what's on the ring, what's going on in the ring. Uh, and uh, some people are, are sort of knocking it out, both in terms of, of their performances and then also in how they're adapting. I, I would say somebody like a, a Drew McIntyre in particular, in, in addition to having some, some fun matches, some, some good promos, he's sort of taken a step forward and embraced and adapted to this sort of format with no crowd, like learning to play to the camera, doing things you would you're, that WWE teaches you not to do from day one, like staring down the barrel of the camera and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like as more people get comfortable in, in sort of this new environment, which is, you know, it's going to be the reality for at least the, the near future. Um, I think the better, uh, the, the shows are going to be. And, you know, obviously WWE is continuing with alternative approaches to matches too. And, you know, that's not going to be for everybody. Uh, what they're going to end up doing with this upcoming money in the bank match, what they did at WrestleMania with the two matches that they, they shot outside of the performance center. So, you know, I mean, there's something for a lot of people. And, you know, like I said, I, I'm really appreciative that, you know, that these talents are, are getting an opportunity to, uh, to continue to do what they love. Tim Fior- Fioravanti from ESPN.com talking to us about uh, professional wrestling with the WWE and AEW with me, Jonathan Hood, on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday on ESPN 1000. Um, yeah, well, the WWEs, they're making movies now, Tim. <laughs> but based on the Boneyard uh, match with uh, The Undertaker and AJ Styles to what we saw in uh, in NXT with Gargano and Ciampa, I mean, and now we're going to see a Money in the Bank. They're, they're putting their WWE films to good use, apparently. Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> I think uh, I think uh, some people who deserve a shout-out are, are, are some of the people on that per- production team. Uh, it, it's pretty wild what they've been able to produce. I mean, we saw a little of it. Uh, a couple of years ago when they sort of dipped their toe into the Hardy universe or, or they did some stuff here and there with uh, the new day and the Wyatt family. But I, I think, you know, tough times and, and unusual circumstances sort of breed this environment in which, you know, innovation can, can spring up. And I think they've really, like you, like you said, elevated themselves and elevated the product and, and created something new. And I think, you know, as much as I don't think anybody wants to play out this new, fresh, fun format, I think it's going to be something that's ingrained in wrestling. Even when things turn back to a, a more normal circumstances and you start getting live crowds, I, I think there are going to be more things like this. And part of the fun is just sort of the, the anticipation, the unknown, because as much as they can tell us about, Oh, Hey, we're going to do this crazy money in the bank match. We're going to have six men and six women, two briefcases on the roof. You don't know how it's going to play out. I mean, are we going to do two, two separate matches? Are they going to be going on at the same time? I mean, it, it, and just the, the possibilities of, like, the sort of crazy stuff, the silly stuff that can happen at WWE headquarters. I mean, it, it's hard for that not to be the most anticipated match, you know, or whatever you want to call it, uh, on the card. And, and there's some other good stuff on the card, obviously. But, you know, I, for one, am looking forward to see uh, – See how it plays out. So, Tim, how worried should the WWE and AEW be with the ratings? You've seen the numbers, right? I mean, uh, we're looking at all-time lows this past uh, Monday on on Raw. 
The Raw is down, especially in that third hour, it was really a huge drop. AEW and NXT are just trying to find their climb to a million viewers. That's what they're trying to get to uh, on the first blush of, of ratings. It's so, I guess the, the question is, during this pandemic, where most of us are at home watching television, you would think there'd be a captive audience, right? But there, but there isn't as the numbers continue to decline. Why do you think that is? Is that storyline or is that because of the presentation? Uh, it could be any of, of a number of things. I mean, the excuse that uh, Vincent Mann himself made uh, during the WWE's um, quarter one financial update was that it's just new talent. And that was, I think that was raw specific mm-hmm. and also pointed to the fact that SmackDown hadn't slipped as much, which, you know, take that for, for what it's worth. I think it's a number of factors. I, I think it, it is a little bit harder for certain fans to buy in and the crowdless presentation isn't for everybody. Some people really sort of appreciate that energy um, and either already tuned in to a show or two without crowds and, and were turned off by it or didn't quite get it. Part of it is the, the storylines, although I'm, I'm enjoying a lot of what's going on. Uh, some people don't uh, enjoy watching Bobby Lashley flip tractor tires. I mean, to each their own. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, uh, but I, I think there's also probably, I, I, I don't know how large a uh, contingent of this audience, but I, I, I'm sure that there are also people who are just generally, you know, uncomfortable with shows continuing to go on in, in the current environment whether that is like directly focused on WWE or it's their own feelings of just looking out and seeing no crowd and, and sort of being reminded of the circumstances we're in. Because it, it, it is admittedly a little bit harder to distance yourself from that. Whereas if you go back and watch something on the WWE Network or YouTube or something else, you can kind of more easily lose yourself within that moment. So I think it's a, it's a combination of factors. What do you consider the legacy of Triple H? Wow. Um, 25 years, think, Tim. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it was a very interesting roast on uh, on SmackDown. I think that's as candid as, as we've seen Vince McMahon on WWE TV in a while. Um, I think it's complex, but completely undeniable. Uh, I mean... When you look at the Attitude Era, Triple H's name is never going to be the number one name, but he was way up there. I mean, when you say names like Austin, The Rock, The Undertaker, Triple H is right there. And just sort of looking at it, he's somehow been the most consistent like presence from that era to today, whereas everybody else, they either retired or they stepped away for stretches or completely. Um, I mean, his biggest impacts are obviously, you know, being part of DX evolution, some pretty tremendous stuff uh, as a single superstar, 14 time world champion. But in honesty, if we're looking at the full picture, an increasing part of that story with every passing day, month, week, year, uh, is the work that he's done off camera, the sort of foundation he's he's helped to lay for the future with NXT. Uh, and 
Yeah, it, it, it is pretty incredible to to see sort of the length of time for which the, uh, Triple H has, has really just continued to help shape the future of WWE. Tim Fiorvanti from ESPN.com on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the new ESPN Chicago app. I'm wondering as we move forward here in 2020 and beyond, Tim, whether or not house shows or um, live events, as the WWE likes to call them, whether it's going to be passe or not. Um, in that conference call, there was there was it felt like there was some conversation about you know um, you know taking away house shows. I see that that it is going to uh, there won't be an Australia or a New Zealand tour and I'm wondering is that going to really be the future of the business um, for AEW and for the WWE because it's stuff that you and I grew up on being able to go to the local event because of something you saw on television it ties together the storyline and I'm wondering will we start seeing uh, fewer and fewer live events uh, as we once did um yeah, when when you're talking, yeah, specifically about WWE, I, I think in that particular respect, they they're being pretty honest. I mean, even before uh, everything that's happened uh, with uh, the ongoing pandemic, like the the revenue from live shows uh, and non televised shows had been dropping and becoming a less significant portion of. Uh, WWE's cash flow in just in general. Uh, and I, I don't think you'll ever see those events completely disappear, uh, especially when you're talking about like venues like Madison Square Garden, when you're talking about just, you know, bigger shows. I, I, I do sincerely believe, though, that it, it is sort of on the path to significantly re- reducing a lot of events. And, and, and you spoke about one of the biggest reasons. It, it's going to take even if a solution, an easy solution, a clean solution, a clear solution to what's going on happens in, in the next few months, people are going to be apprehensive uh, to be in large crowds for a while. And to speak nothing of like uh, financial situations and that sort of thing, paying tickets, buying merchandise and, and what have you. So, yeah, I, I, I do, as unfortunate as it sounds, think that we will see a reduction of live events, but I also think that we will see a continued touring brand for televised events, and those televised events might end up being at some smaller venues in order to reach certain other regions, depending on how they sort of reorganize. But I think a lot of things are up in the air, and I think what could be the solution six months down the line is probably different from what is going to be a year out and a year and a half out and five years out. So, you know, it's, it's all going to be wait and see. Well, I would imagine that AEW's business model would be different from the WWE in which it's new. So they, if they do get into the touring business, that would probably help them. Uh, and they and actually, for the time that they were on the road doing their Wednesday night show, Tim, they did pretty well. There's only a few markets where they didn't do well. Huntsville might have been one of their worst, but they were going to sell out or come close to Newark and some of these other markets. Of course, here in Chicago, I mean, as soon as you say hmm. AE, you don't have to say W. It's already sold out in like 30 seconds because we're crazy here and we <laughs> we love our wrestling. So that's not a surprise, but they were doing well. I'm, I'm, I wonder what's going through Tony Khan's mind because once, if we do get back to normal and we are having arena events, 
I would imagine that they would uh, go into that business just to try to expand uh, their business and, and help uh, financially, I would think. Right. And, and I would agree, um, both in terms of uh, financial uh, and because of, uh, you know, just, just visibility. Mm-hmm. Like you said, they, they do great in Chicago. I, I'm sure that the building would have been packed in Newark, if not sold out very close to it. Uh, they have a very strong home base uh, in the Jacksonville area. Uh, and I think you, you were, you were starting to see some, some very special things from AEW in terms of what was going on, uh, at this week, on these weekly shows. And it's continued to be entertaining, but yeah, I think, I think you're probably right. Uh, AEW is in a position, especially if WWE pulls back, um, their live events to sort of step in as long as they can lay out their plan financially, which it seems like Tony Khan had everything laid out pretty well, uh, even in advance of, of signing everybody, launching the brand and what have you. It, it seems like for all the people who have tried to step into the wrestling world, Tony Khan has had a, a pretty remarkably flexible and well-laid-out plan. So. I, I do expect AEW, AEW to adapt and, and sort of step in wherever they fit in. Tim, uh, what are, what's the staff working on for uh, future projects on ESPN.com? <laughs> um, well, at the moment, uh, a lot of the folks who, who dip their toe into the uh, WWE space are also uh, hard at work uh, in terms of MMA and, and boxing and that sort of thing. So at the moment... We are almost squarely focused on uh, UFC 249, which is coming up in, in less than two weeks. Uh, but we do have uh, a couple of fun things in, in the uh, in the pipeline, uh, although the, the, they're longer term projects, uh, and as well as uh, so, some fun interviews. Uh, obviously, we have a couple of pay per views coming up in the month of May. Uh, WWE's Money in the Bank mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, double or nothing towards the end of the month. So, no, I don't want to go too deep into it, but we oh, have some fun God. stuff. Uh, and, and like I said, it, it is really nice to have the opportunity to continue to uh, cover the space. Tim, we work, 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 we both work for the same company. It's okay to just yeah, let's bring back the curtain a little bit. If you're going to write you know, 5,000 words on Jinder <laughs> Mahal returning to Raw and how they're setting up the matchup against Drew McIntyre, the the 3MB reunion, just just tell me if that's what you got. <laughs> is that what's coming up? And 5,000 words on, on the, the push of Apollo Crews? Just let us know. Is that what's is that what's happening over there? <laughs> it is. I mean, I'm. I may or may not be. You know, doing an ode to uh, Zelina Vega's new trio of talent. See? I mean, like I said, there you go. I, but yeah, it, it's exciting times. But you know, can't, I, I I I don't like spoiling okay. anything that's coming along. We like we like surprises and. Uh, it seems it seemed to have worked out for us so far. So I understand. All right. So again, another twenty five hundred words on Seth Rollins' man bun. Look for that on the WWE page <laughs> of ESPN.com. Tim, we appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Anytime. It's Tim Fiorvanti from ESPN.com. Go to ESPN.com. Look for the WWE slash wrestling page, and you'll be able to get all the wrestling conversation and uh, columns that you need right there as you're listening 
to ESPN 1000. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Go! Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Good to talk to Tim Fiorvanti from ESPN.com on the WWE and AEW. Everything else in pro wrestling. And by the way, if you download the ESPN Chicago app, you'll be able to see a tab there for TWT. You can go back and listen to our retrospective of Howard Finkel, the first WWE employee back in 1980, uh, who passed away just recently. Um, hearing from Jim Ross, who's on the program. Mark Henry, the world's strongest man, WWE Hall of Famer, is on here as well. And so many other guests and conversations. So if you're a wrestling fan, it's all here for you on the um, new ESPN Chicago app. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, and all the wrestling is there, along with sports we normally enjoy as well on the Under the Hood show page as well on the ESPN Chicago app. I thank you for listening and being part of the program here on ESPN 1000. Our thanks to Howard Griffith and Jared Payton and Tim Fiervani for being with us. Show produced by Sean Davis on the other side of the glass. Full show tomorrow between 7 and 10 as we talk to you about the NFC North, the Bears, and all the other teams in the NFC North. How well do they do in the draft? What can we look forward to for their upcoming seasons? Also, I want to find Fred Mitchell. We'll talk to Fred Mitchell about the last dance and so much more. Join me Wednesday night, 7 to 10, right here on Chicago's Home for Sports, Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Hi, everybody. On ESPN 1000, Chicago's Home for Sports.